back, everybody, to We Are TPM with John Teixeira and myself, Kyle Teixeira, here to talk to you about building wealth with real estate as always. So this week, we are going to be talking about burr. It's cold in here. Mm-hmm. What's our topic today, John? It's the burr strategy. <laughs> what does burr stand for other than the weather we're about to get here in Texas? So so real quickly, burr stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. So we're going to go through all those steps and how to use this strategy to invest in real estate. So that was buy, rehab, refinance, or no, no, no. buy, rehab, rent, repeat no i can't even get Man, it there's buy rehab you're gonna get rent. it i know you are do it kyle you can do it rent refinance repeat there you go so so this came up because this is an old strategy it's not a new strategy by any means whatsoever and even this burr strategy term has been coined it's that's not a new term either however it seems to be taking off on social media lately. Um, so every once in a while when these things kind of go, I don't want to say it's going viral, but I'm seeing it a lot on, on social media. And I thought of coming into winter would be a great time to to demonstrate how this strategy works to our audience um, as we come into the winter months and maybe there's more opportunities to do this. I want to clarify that you did not find this strategy on social media though, right? No, no, no. I've, <laughs> as you very well know, I've used this very strategy many times. Yes. I have just been seeing, seeing people talk about it. And label it burr. And labeling it burr, burr. strategy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, the first part of this is buying. And that's probably the part of this conversation that we need to talk the most about. Because we could have entire podcasts on just this part, right? Um how do you buy? How do you buy something that needs rehab? So one of the obstacles people have is in when they buy something in a conventional fashion, most people need a loan. Okay, let's just pretend we need a loan. Either you have cash, which means you can do it whatever you want, or you need to use other people's money to 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 buy the home. And the a conventional loan, FHA, VA, all the ways that we conventionally do that, you can't buy a home that needs too much repair, right? You could buy on a conventional loan, you could buy a home that needs some repair, some cosmetic repair, but that's about it. You need something that has foundation work required and needs a new roof and needs a complete rehab. You're not using our conventional means to buy that home. Yeah, generally not. And I mean, we went over this last week, actually, hard money and the different financing options to acquire that. So, um, yeah, you want to you want to get a good deal for it, but also find a way to buy it. Yeah, we're, we're going to need to bring one of my good friends um, is a hard money lender. We're going to need to bring him in here to to talk more about hard money loans. But um, that's the easiest way to do this if. But the hardest, the hardest part of the strategy right now in the winter of 2021, okay, is finding the deals that match what a hard money lender will do, 
right? So most of them want 70. Some are starting to push to 75%. I've even heard 80% recently out of, out of a hard money lender. So even if they go 80%, what that means is they're willing to lend you 80% of, we call it ARB, and that stands for after repaired value, okay? And if they're willing to do, let's just use the 80% for a moment on a, on a home that you're going to be able to sell afterwards for 300000 means you have to buy it for 240000 The reason why that's hard right now, even when you have to do repairs, is because there is so little inventory that people are even clamoring for those homes and paying more than what they would normally pay for those homes as, as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we went in depth on that, all that on... In last week's episode, but the the point is is you want to you know acquire property. Step one, right, of the Burr strategy is is get that uh, as an investment property. So all those details of how you make it worth it for an investment property um, do matter. But uh, step one is is acquire an investment property. Good job. Way to bring us back to to what we're talking about, Kyle. I love it. So you have a property. And you need to take it down, whether you're using cash, hard money, whatever you're using, right? Um, if you use hard money, then, you know, that's almost like cash, right? We're usually able to close in about a week's time with hard money. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty Very much quick. the same timeline as if you had cash, because you're still going to want to do title and all that good stuff. Um, so we, we lock it down, we buy it talk a little bit about the hard money loan, okay? The hard money loan is a little bit more expensive, higher interest rate. It's interest only. Um, It's meant to be a short-term financing strategy so that you can purchase something and resell it, or in this case, refinance it. Mm -hmm. Yeah? But that's not step two. (laughs) That's not step two. Step two is rehab. Step two is rehab, which sometimes the hard money lender will help you with that as well if you don't have the capital. So if you buy it good enough, I'm going to use an example that I ran through with a client yesterday. He's got a grandfather who is selling him a home that I estimated at $185,000 value. He's selling it to him for $40,000. In that example... There's plenty of money if he needed to buy, if he needed a hard money lender to sell it, to help him with that, to give him the purchase money, the closing costs, and the rehab costs to rehab that home because he's buying it so, so much lower than the after repaired value. Mm-hmm. So he pretty much gets the financing piece for all of this yeah, upfront cash is what you're saying. Yeah, if, if you can find a deal like that, I mean, if you got a grandpa with an old house that wants to, right? But but that's that's the tough part is finding those deals. But if you can do it, hard money lenders will do that all day long because all they care about is it's called asset-based lending. So that's all they care about is that they have an asset that's able to, uh, what's the C word I'm looking for? <laughs> Help me, Kyle. I'm, I'm losing the C word. Compound? No. Nope. Anyways, an asset that that's backing up that investment that they're making, oh, right? Collateral. Collateral. Thank before. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> it's collateralizing the loan. My my 51-year-old brain stopped working there for a moment. My apologies. Um, but it's collateralizing it and and that's all they care about, right? 
as is, are they going to be okay if things go bad? Are they going to be able to get their money back out? They don't care about your credit. They don't care about, they do care about your history. If they know your history of doing this and failing at it, they'll care about that. But all the things that a lender typically cares about, they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you'll be able to get the property repaired and, and get it all going. So then you buy it, you rehab it and fix it all up. You put all that upfront money into it. And then, you know, this isn't a flip strategy. This is a uh, rental this portfolio burr strategy. strategy. So next we rent it out. The reason why we need to rent it out next yeah, the Instead reason of refinancing it's, it? there, there's an important reason why the rent comes before the refinance. So, and assuming you did use hard money or use cash or whatever, um, the point is for this to be a long-term investment property or rental property. So, we've done a previous episode on building your empire, um, and this is this strategy is really the way we talked about doing it. Uh, the snowball effect is this is the case by case basis of this the snowball effect because you rent it out. Because once it's rented out, your refinance lender, your mortgage lender will take uh, that away from your DTI. So, for example, you have, you know, your 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 refinance or your mortgage amount is going to be say fifteen hundred, um, but you're renting it out for seventeen hundred. So, when they're looking at your debt to income ratios, because you have a lease. Um, you know, for that lease amount, that lease amount is considered income and comes off of your income. So if you were to try to refinance it before renting it, uh, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't get that benefit. So this is the way that you basically bring your DTI for these properties you buy. um, And your DTI shows how, your DTI is used to see if you are able to qualify and afford the property. Define DTI. Debt to income. Debt to income ratio. Yep. Total debt to your total income. You know, there needs to be a gap there if lenders are gonna let you buy property is basically what it comes down to. So say you make a hundred grand a year, but you have eighty grand in debt, you know, and that's it's hard it's hard to use a fixed figure for debt because it's really based on um your monthly minimum payments on that debt and your monthly incomes. So, you know, your debt to income is really the ratio of the two. But that's one of the important uh, factors that lenders use. It's one of the most important factors. So we all hear about credit score. They look at your credit score, debt to income ratio. Those are basically the first two things a lender looks at when they're trying to decide whether they're going to give you money and how much they're going to give you. Yeah, and, and taking that a little high level. So say you have... You know, you own the house you live in, right? And you know, based on your income, maybe you've talked to your lender, your concern is, okay, I only have enough DTI room to afford one rental property, you know, and then I won't be able to buy anymore. So why start? Well, that's not actually how it works. And this is why the rent comes before the refinance. You buy that, uh, you know, that rental property, your first one, um, then you rent it out. As long as you're making more on rent, then your cost, even if your cost is $100 higher, that's only $100 away from your income, right? Um, where that's it can right. actually, I mean, generally, if you're getting a rental property, you're making more on rent than your than your cost. So that cash flow dif- difference actually increases your income against that's the right. DTI. Um, so that example after that- you do all that, you're not just at the same baseline before you bought that rental property. You got you're, a little bit extra, but- better. Yeah, but this, the point is, you can still go buy that second one. So that example that you used a moment ago uh, would give that that borrower, borrower 
An additional two hundred dollars, yeah, burr. an additional two hundred dollars in income. So that that when I go to my lender in that example that you used, I've got a fifteen hundred dollar baseline. Um, that's what that my so what my mortgage is going to cost me. I'm renting it for seventeen hundred dollars. That's actually giving me an additional two hundred dollars. Is your point in income that I could actually use on the next one when I do this burr strategy again, right? Mm-hmm. Because the last part of this burr strategy is to repeat. Yep. yep. And this and is the reason why you can repeat it. That's what I just described. So, and I've talked to, since we've talked about short-term rentals quite a bit in the past, uh, I do want to bring up this small point is the repeat part. Um, I've talked to investors and clients we have that that are already exercising and this spur strategy, right? Maybe have been for years or whatever the case may be. And their concern is, well, if my next repeat is a short-term rental property, then, and now that's my next investment property, I'm not getting a lease at a fixed amount signed for a year or whatever that the lender wants to see to take that, you know, <clears throat> that expense off my DTI. Um, so I want to bring up that in previous years to this, yes, that was a, that was a concern, but we've seen as soon as, um, last year that lenders are, uh, I'm not going to say all of them are, but there's lenders considering that uh, income usually on an annual basis. So the real consideration there is, can you wait the year for your short-term can you rental? prove some history? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, do you, is, do you want your next repeat to be in three right. months or if you can wait the year to go the short-term rental route so you can get, you know, show of annual revenue and every lender is going to be different. Some may only want to see three months, you know, six months. It's new enough that it's definitely not standardized yet. Well, the other solution to that is that we have a corporation that we rent out, right? So that we've done that for our clients where we actually, we actually lease it from them, right? Before or they do, do it that. themselves. I mean, and that's because that, that is one method. Uh, you know, you say you have an LLC, that LLC leases it from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that LLC is the one that short-term rents it out or whatever it may be. Yep. So at least you have a lease to show. Yep. Um, and it's not, that's one way to do it. Some people a- actually, if the lenders are taking it now, some people I've talked to want them to consider the short-term rental income because yeah. it's generally higher. So it can maybe qualify them to get two more. Or Yeah. If they can do it, like you said, lenders are making the adjustments. So if they'll, if they'll look at that and add that into our D- the DTI, then that's even better for them. If you have a more traditional lender that's still not doing that, you know, it's, it's a common business practice now for companies to come in and rent to sign a lease, a 12 month lease on a, on a property and then do short-term leasing and make that, that, that additional, that additional revenue themselves. Sounds like you're leading us up to doing a rental arbitrage episode that that we don't want to touch. All right. All right. All right. Well, so that's it. That's the Burr strategy. Buy, rehab it, right? Make sure you do really good and, and you have a good rehabber. Rent it out for as much as you can so that when you refinance, it doesn't affect your DTI and allows you to refinance that property and actually hopefully improves your DTI so that when you repeat it, right, which is the next step, you're in an even better dis- better position than you were the first time you went through the strategy and that continues every time you go through it. Yep. Yep. And it just needs to look like a long text that says burr, 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 burr. burr, burr. There no, you but go. I like it. <laughs> there's one, the, the, the refinance piece, I think we kind of skated over probably the most important point in there, which is it's not just a refinance. Um, well, okay. So let me describe 
the biggest reason for the refinance uh, is to get your money back out of it in a lot of cases. So say you did go hard money or say you even went conventional and you spent, say you got the conventional loan, you spent 50 grand uh, in the rehab process, right? Let's just uh, paint a simple picture. Um, you want to refinance because you get the a, a, you'd get a new appraisal after you've done all these repairs. Um, that way you can generally do a cash out refi and get all the, say the 50 grand that you put into it back out of it, assuming you haven't exceeded that 80% ARV. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And you can go do it again. Take that capital and go do it again. Mm-hmm. So if you paid cash for it, it allows you to use that cash, refinance, go take that cash and go do it again. If you used hard money, you pay off that hard money, you take your profit, use that for capital to to in your repeat, right? Yeah, you repeat with OPM. OPM, I love it. Other people's money. The um the hard money uh, loans that I have experience with, I think almost all of them need to be paid in one year. I have seen up to 18 months, so I've seen that in, in some cases, but most of them need to be paid in one year anyways. And I know that the on the in this strategy, when you refinance, it's important before you even do step one, it's important that you talk to your lender about step four, right? Because you want to make sure you know you can do it and not go through these steps and get to the refinance part and go, oh, no, there's a problem. And you also want to understand how when you do that affects your interest rate and how much you can pull out. So that will affect it if you if you rehab it really fast and you're and you're within 90 days, I think it is that will change that refi- what that refinance looks like than if you wait six months to do it, right? Um, it might change the interest rate. It might change the amount you're able to pull out. Um, and even at a year, most lenders like to see that you've had something for a year before they do this. In this strategy, you, you typically can't do that because, well, you should be able to because when I said 12 months, the hard money lenders really are doing it for 13 months is really what it is. So there's, there's time there for you to close on something right at the 12-month mark. But, um, but that's cutting it close. Yeah, and you don't want to hang on to hard money. Who wants for twelve to? months? Exactly. So, exactly. Um, yeah, you definitely don't want to do that. But. You're not building any wealth while you have that hard money loan. You're. I shouldn't say that. You're not building as much wealth. You're paying for time, is the way I like to yep. look at it. So the shortest yep. time you can timeline you can put on it, the shortest amount you pay for that uh, premium. Um, and another way to, you know, we said this gets better and it gets your DTI better, but if, if you repeat this enough times, it actually makes your, um, not only your ability to purchase these things, but uh, your ability to, or your buying power um, gets better um, because you can do, you, you open yourself up to products such as bulk loans, so, um, and backed by your property. So, I was really just gonna. I'm, I was just gonna ask you, Kyle, if we could, if we could parlay this podcast into a podcast about bulk loans. Oh, we will. But just, just in general sense, it's so like, say you have ten properties now, you can collateralize those ten properties maybe into one bulk loan that you, you know now they're like, okay, well you can go, we'll give you financing for more three because it's all grouped together. So there's a lot of different financing options that come up and um, and products that 
you open yourself up to once you build that portfolio. And right. then the repeat gets easier and you could have three burrs going on at the same time. So I heard rumors that Fannie Mae opened up the amount of properties that they'll, they'll allow you to carry from 10 to, I think it was 20. I don't know if it's already been done, if it's in the process, if they're thinking about it. I don't know the details. Rumor stage. Yeah, about a month and a half ago, it was still ten. So I don't know if that's changed since then. Doubtful. But I know. I know there's talk of it. I've I've uh, spoken to a couple of investors. Both have heard some some wins about that happening. And usually, when that happens, that's kind of what's on the on the horizon. So it wouldn't surprise me. They want uh, the the government wants more of us individual investors owning rental property than the inst- what we would call institutional investors that are coming in with you know, millions and billions of dollars and buying up a whole bunch of properties. So, Yeah, which isn't a, you know, it, it's sometimes framed in a negative light. I mean, there are negative points to that, but uh, you do want some, you know, the institutional investors play a good role in any market, right? They, they hold things up, right? So if they get completely out of the housing market, that wouldn't be good either. So, um, oh, but yes, I, I, they're incentivizing it's not... Uh, the scale not going in their favor, right? They're I, not I agree with more you on that. Or whatever. Just, I think that I think that it's tipping too far. I think they're oh, just trying to make sure that we build wealth with the middle class here in, in America. And if you have too many of too high of a percentage of our rental housing owned by institutional investors, that starts to that starts to put wealth in the hands, take wealth away from the middle class, so to mm-hmm. speak. And that's that's kind of not how we're built. Oh, there's a lot of negative effects yep. to it. Yeah, yep. I'm just saying the ratio needs to be you know, lower, is what you were saying. We're so. getting off topic, Kyle. I think this was a Burr. really simple strategy, this burr strategy. Hey, listen, if you have any questions, you want to know how to get started with this burr strategy, because we got we got deals that come across our desk every single day. And I don't take advantage of all of them because I can't, first of all. Two, they're all over DFW, and I don't really, I, you know, my personal properties, I like to stay closer to home just because we have so many opportunities. And so if you're wondering, if you're in Louisville and you're like, hey, I'd really like to buy one, I can keep an eye out for an opportunity in Louisville. Um, Kyle, where do people reach out to us if they want to learn more about the burr strategy from us well you can always talk to us reach out to us at uh, 817-818-9039 817-818-9039 and shoot us an email show me the money at we are tpm go to our website we are tpm.com come walk in and say hi in downtown mansfield um whatever you want to do but we're always available so show me the money i love and, it and to piggyback a little bit on your in- bringing up institutional investors what is there a difference between what they do and uh, the individual investors does as far as the burst strategy? Uh, there's not. This this is executed yep. across the board in real estate investing. Whether you're big institutional investors or just an individual investor, they all practice this strategy. Buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Some institutions might skip the refinance part, but yes. it's still burr. <laughs> You're right about that. It's still burr. It's just a shorter burr. It's a burr. (laughs) So 
I think uh, we, we had a great topic today. Uh, if you guys have any questions about this, want more clarification on uh, the Burr strategy, other strategies, um, how to di- if you want to do a deeper dive into any of these letters, uh, you know, give us a call, reach out to us. John, John and myself are always willing to talk. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Got anything else, John? Nope. We are TPM. All right. See you next week. Burr. Burr. Burr.